0: Welcome to Green Talk, a podcast by Green Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. So, joining us today on the podcast is Kelly Daynard, and she's uh, the Executive Director of Farm and Food Care. So, thanks for uh, coming out and chatting with us today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Great. Um, and I guess just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about what Farm and Food
1: Care is? Oh, I could talk for an hour on what Farm and Food Care is. (laughs) So Farm and Food Care, uh, Farm and Food Care Ontario, where I work, is an agricultural outreach organization. And our main goal is to try to answer consumers' questions about where their food comes from. We, uh, we were founded about 30 years ago. We uh, were originally called Ag Care uh, to those in the crop and hort world that knew us back then. Uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario and its predecessor organizations helped to found us. And uh, yeah, we've got a 30-year foundation on trying to answer consumers' questions about where their food comes from.
2: And you've been with Farm and Food Care for a while. Tell us about what your role is there.
1: Yeah, I uh, consider myself to have one of the coolest jobs in Ontario agriculture, okay. and I'm I'm uh, I'm blessed. I have worked for Farm and Food Care and OFAC and Ag Care before that uh, for about 14 years. Before that, my first job was as a journalist, and uh, found myself wanting to tell more and more of the farm stories when I was writing for my local newspaper, and. Uh, Farm and Food Care is a pretty great place to help tell those stories.
0: Um, And can you tell us a bit about your agriculture background? Daynard's a pretty well-known last name in farming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For better or for worse. (laughs) Uh, So yes, I was raised on a cash crop farm uh, just west of Guelph. Uh, Grew up there my entire life. I am... I am the quintessential farm kid who wanted nothing to do with the farm <laughs> when she left uh, high school, and my parents are still quite pleased to remind me of that. So I grew up doing all those things that cash crop farm kids do, driving tractor, picking stones, all of those charming chores, and uh, left to take honors English at Wilfrid Laurier University. Again, I did. I wanted to be a journalist. I did not want to do any of the farm stuff. And then, again, found myself... Uh, Getting really annoyed when the other reporters at the newspaper got their facts wrong in the farm stories and finally my editor just said oh for crying out loud Dana just be the farm writer (laughs) and uh, so I uh, did that for a number of years I worked for Beef Farmers of Ontario in communications for a number of years and then this job came up and to be able to tell the story of everybody from grain farmers to greenhouse vegetable growers to livestock farmers I'm just I'm really blessed
2: and you're not the only one in your family who's an ag communicator?
1: Nope. My sister also works in agricultural communications. My, um, my parents still farm west of Guelph. Uh, we have just a small 200-acre family farm west of Guelph. Um, most of my aunts and uncles are still in this industry, and I can't imagine working anywhere else now.
2: So what's your family's uh, past history with farming? Has, has your farm been in the family for generations? No.
1: Uh, we are a f- um, The farm outside of Guelph is a first-generation family farm. My parents bought it in 1972, and it's still my favorite place in the whole world. I live in town now, uh, but I escape out there every chance I get. My grandparents uh, all farmed in Perth County, both livestock and, and crops, and my, my cousins and aunts and uncles farm across this province.
2: So farming's definitely been a family tradition then.
1: It's in my blood. I uh, once it, I'm always, you know, I'm I, again, I said I'm that quintessential kid who didn't think she wanted to do work in agriculture, <laughs> but there are so many of us in this industry that it sucks you back in and it's in your heart. Yeah.
0: So you've done a lot of traveling around the world, uh, visiting farms and in agriculture. Can you tell us sort of what you've learned and about that?
1: I, uh, I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I hadn't gotten involved in the International Federation of Agricultural Journalists. And I have been really active in the Canadian Farm Writers Federation. I don't remember who the smart person was who told me when I got into this career, you need to join that group. But I have met such amazing friends and colleagues through that.
2: Megan and I are both currently on the board of the uh, ECFWA, yeah. which is the regional association. Which
1: I'm- so thrilled that you're both involved <laughs> in that because it, it really helped shape my career and shape my passion. About 12 years ago, I won a scholarship uh, from the Canadian Farm Writers Conference to attend the International Federation of Agricultural Conference. In that year, it was in Slovenia, Austria, Slovakia. It was a three country traveling congress. And I got there and I met these amazing agricultural communicators and journalists from. 40 countries around the world. And all of a sudden, it was just like this light came on. I thought, oh my gosh, these are my people. I just didn't know they existed. And uh, I joke now that it's uh, it's my most expensive habit. I uh, save up money every year. I pay for my own way to go to this thing because it has become so important to me. So we have I have been lucky enough to tour farms all over the world from, from Europe and South Africa a few years ago to Australia, New Zealand, to Argentina, across Canada and the U.S., and um, it's awesome to me that you know the apple grower that I met in Slovenia shows the exact same passion as the crocodile farmer the craziest guy I've ever met in my life in Australia. Crocodile farming farming is a thing and if you closed your eyes and listened to him talk you would have thought you were with any livestock farmer in Ontario with the same passion Um, to grain farming in Argentina and the the large acreage that they had there so yeah I've been very blessed to have that diverse range of tours this year will be in the American Midwest the IFAJ conference conferences in Minnesota um, and uh, excite, equally excited about that one too
2: can we go back to the crocodile farming for a second? That's, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking so, that too. So, is that for meat, like it's or the skin or and
1: for the for the hides? Uh it goes into high-end probably handbags and belts and stuff in Asia. Uh he farms in the north part of Australia. It's a real sugarcane banana belt area too. Those are the primary crops. And then he had this crocodile farm. And he didn't have to tell me twice, but they they live in this big enclosure with kind of a lagoon in the middle of it and uh, he basically said don't lean up against the edges and you you didn't have to tell me that twice (laughs) uh, because at one point uh, he leaned up against like with his arm up against the fence and this crocodile comes like whooshing up at him and all of us ag journalists jumped back about 30 feet and he's and he just said oh come on it's just being a crocodile and you did look and he he did have all 10 fingers although he had some pretty good scars on his arms that I wasn't sure if I should ask him about but uh Anyway, craziest farm I've ever visited.
2: Any other, I guess, sort of events or people that stick out in your minds oh, from those travels? Oh my
1: gosh, so many. Um, we the conference was in Germany a number of uh, maybe about five years ago, and we toured the old East Germany, and we listened to these amazing, heartbreaking, passionate stories about farmers who had lost their farm during communism and uh, and lived in west germany for almost 50 years and then when the wall came down came back to east germany to find their farms in collapse and trying to prove that they had owned those farms pre-communism so they could get them back and just their passion for you know this was my heritage of course i'd never i'd never seen it before because i was born in west germany but i always knew this was our farm and their 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 emotional physical struggles to get their land back after the 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 wall came down and And I'll never forget some of those conversations, too.
2: And how has that shaped how you approach or do your job here in Ontario?
1: I think as an ag communicator and as somebody working for Farm and Food Care, it gives me a lot of credibility because I spend an awful lot of time in conversations with consumers, and I actually genuinely can answer those questions when, well, I was also in the Advanced Agricultural Leadership Program, and our study tour was to China. And so when avian influenza came to Canada and people were worried about it, I could talk about how different chicken production is in China, where people are living in the same houses with their chickens at times versus here with extensive biosecurity practices. Living in the
2: same house with their chickens. I didn't realize that still happened.
1: That is a a thing in other parts of the world. And of course, we live in a very affluent country where um, poultry lives in barns and or... On, on farms and uh, so I think that it's given me a lot of credibility and a lot more perspective. Last year the con- the conference was in the Netherlands and uh, I felt like I came back to Canada with a whole new appreciation because we have so many amazing Dutch immigrant farmers in this country. You saw all the same last names over there and you saw what shaped them and of course they're 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 such successful farmers here now too. Wow.
0: I feel like you have so many cool stories. I hate to change gears, but... uh, Change away. Yeah, So Farm and Food Cares AGM uh, was this past week, and um, that's an opportunity to bring together your stakeholders and members. Can you tell us why that's uh, an important time for you?
1: I feel like the Farm and Food Care Annual Meeting, there's so many great conferences in Ontario, including March Classic, mm-hmm. that bring um, farmers together of like-minded commodities. But Farm and Food Care, I feel, is one of those cool places where you'll walk into that annual conference and you'll see the greenhouse vegetable grower sitting beside a pig farmer, sitting beside a grain farmer, sitting beside a food processor. And uh, We're a lot more alike sometimes than we realize, and uh, I think that that's the place where they meet, they exchange stories and ideas, and our our council meetings are similar, and they get to know a little bit about each other's perspective. But you know what? We're all in this together. Farm and Food Care tries to be the tent, so to speak, where commodity groups can come together and work on projects, talk about shared issues, and uh, that's what I love about our annual conference.
0: And uh, you usually do a great job of sort of bringing in speakers that address different hot topics uh, that the industry is facing. Can you go over what
1: we uh, heard about this week? Yeah, so we had a very strong female contingent of speakers at our conference this week. Uh, Dr. Andrea Bitton-Jones uh, from the University of Guelph was our first speaker talking about the ever um, relevant critical issue of farmer mental health. She's just doing some amazing work in Ontario and we were so thrilled to give her um, a place to share some of that work that she's doing. Our second speaker was Patricia Chewy who is a registered dietitian from Vancouver Island. Patricia is probably one of Canada's best recognized registered dietitian. She's got a huge background in helping um, athletes with with um, their dietetic needs, um, speaking on national news programs. She's been active in the Canada, Canada's Food Guide, which has been a huge issue for all of us lately. And so she was talking about kind of food fads, food trends, and essentially her message is don't be scared of what you eat, just be smart about it. And then our last speaker, and I'm a total fangirl, is uh, Michelle Miller, the farm babe. Um, I met Michelle at a conference last November in Quebec, and I immediately gushed and said, have you ever been to Ontario? And she said, I haven't spoken there. I said, would you like to? So Michelle's got an amazing story. She uh, went to school for fashion design, thought she knew everything about anything to do with agriculture, and of course, you know, lived in the, an urban bubble, and then fell in love with an American uh, grain farmer, and uh, realized that everything she thought she knew about food and farming is not a thing. And she has since dedicated her career to trying to correct the misinformation that she once believed. She's got about 100,000 followers on social media. She's an amazingly fabulous, funky chick. And uh, I think people were really excited to come and meet her. Sounds like a great advocate, yeah.
2: And when we talk about some of those, I guess, broader misunderstandings that the public has, what have you seen in your role in terms of what some of those, I guess, common misconceptions are that you're continuously fighting? I know we, as grain farmers, know that a lot of the times the focus is on the crop inputs we use or glyphosate or, uh, you know, other pesticides, but I guess in the broader sense, what are you
1: seeing? You know what, it's, uh, it's, it's, everybody in agriculture has a job to play in telling this story and uh and it's critical and yes the the topics you mentioned on the crop side are absolute critical ones that we answer organic versus conventional that sort of thing and uh, i always say at farm and food care my job is not to tell anybody Uh, what food to buy or or where to buy it or how to buy it it's uh, you know my job is to help give people an educated perspective answer their questions so that they can make their own reasonable educated decisions on the livestock side we deal a lot with animal housing uh, why do animals have to live indoors in in many cases, or why do they? Uh, we deal with things like hormones and antibiotics in your food, and you know, Cole's notes. That there's not, and uh,
2: <laughs> it's almost a hot topic as GMOs are in crops, right?
1: It is, and the whole negative marketing thing. When you see that GMO-free label, or you see you know, race without antibiotics, or you see, you see hormone-free, which it's not really a thing Um, you know all of that I always say if you can't sell your products based on what is in them you shouldn't sell your products based on what's not in them especially in that no GMO label case where there's no GM equivalents right you know There's no, I've seen um, kitty litter lately advertised as GMO free. And I can tell you the cats in my house don't care. So
2: I I try to not buy things that had that non-GMO label knowing that there wasn't a GM alternative to it. But it's hard. You would almost have nothing in your shopping cart if you tried to do that.
1: And it's just, it's really frustrating. I see a change. I see a trend. I see consumers getting more savvy I see them asking more questions and I see them being annoyed when they get duped into things like that and I really hope that that shift changes because um, selling food based on fear is a terrible thing to do and somebody at a conference at the Grow Canada conference last year said food has never been safer and we've never been more afraid to eat it not we in this room, but we collectively are Canadian population. And that makes me really sad and shows that Farm and Food Care has a lot more work to do.
0: Along that line, you guys have a lot of um, events coming up with Farm and Food Care that are, I guess, addressing that public outreach need. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing there?
1: Absolutely. So we are always so grateful to each and every farmer that, uh, allows us to call them and say hey we've got a group we need to bring to your farm. So as an example two weeks ago uh, we were in eastern Ontario with a group of culinary students from Algonquin College and uh, thanks to the Laduke family uh, from Moose Creek who welcomed us again on yet another tour with open arms to show off their grain elevators and their farm equipment and answer questions about grain production in this in this province. Uh, June the 22nd we have uh, we just announced last week we have a breakfast on the farm coming up in the Windsor area. Uh, Jobin Farms is a grain and dairy farm family business. Uh, they have an amazing story in that they their farm uh, was lost to a terrible barn fire about three years ago, and they had to completely rebuild, and they are determined to show the world that they are back in this amazing industry to stay. So they are hosting Breakfast on the Farm, and we're looking for volunteers from Essex County to help with that one. You can go to our website to find out more information to volunteer. Um that's a big event for us. We do tours for uh culinary students as I said, for food influencers, for registered dietitians. When I started this career, I was thrilled if I could get 10 people on a coach bus for a day. I thought I had nailed it. And now The whole interest in local food movement maybe our reputation in this industry we can now fill a coach bus uh, with really influential foodies uh, in a few days and just really show a meaningful part of this province's agriculture to them.
0: And what were you hearing from the culinary students their
1: feedback on the the (coughs) day out? You know what I think they've when they leave their college they are really good chefs and cooks and they will go into restaurants and and who knows where hotels uh to to prepare products but they don't have any sort of understanding of where the product comes from and so that's our goal in those tours and we're, we're only limited by our budget and uh, every college would love to have us there we just don't have a budget to do it so we rotate between the colleges so last two weeks ago we toured the grain farm and we toured an egg farm and uh, I know that those students leave with a much greater appreciation of where the product comes from before they start to work on it. We toured a a tomato greenhouse a few years ago, and I had this awesome guy get up back on the bus afterwards, and he's like, whoa. I said, (laughs) whoa, what? And he said... I always ever just ever thought of a tomato as a garnish on the side of a plate. I had no idea. And I'm like, then my work here is done. That's yeah. pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, have you noticed any hesitancy or reluctancy from the farmers in recent years? There's been a lot of, of stuff on the news about activists who find out about a farm and then they kind of ambush the farmers. Have you noticed anything
1: in that regard? We um, know we're actually really lucky that we don't. Mm -hmm. And I think now we're up to about 112 tours in the last 12 or 14 years. And we have yet to have a single problem on our tours with any of our guests. Our guests are all invited guests. They're not, well, except for breakfast on the farm, which of course is a huge event open to the public. We've never had a single problem. um, I've, you know, the, the gambit of guests is really diverse. So I have vegans on my buses and I know them and I've invited them and I'm thrilled to have them there. And they tour the livestock farms too, just because they're interested in learning more and they're, and they're foodies. So they, they, they get the broader concept. Uh, but I've never, I've had farmers say to me, Hey Kelly, do you think you know what you're doing? And are you sure we're going to be okay? And, um, I'm fairly confident in my answers and, and at the end of the day, when you see those foodies immerse themselves in a couple of farms in a day and meet the farmers, uh, we do fo- tra- testing, survey testing, both before and after the tours. And you can see the needle moving in terms of their confidence in our food systems, both grains and livestock, and, uh, and how, you know, how much more they trust farming practices when they've met the farmers.
2: So have you noticed, I guess, a change in the way media reports on agriculture since you've been doing these tours and sort of educating people a bit more?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm often asked, you know, how many front page stories did you get as a result of the tours? And for us, yes, it would be awesome to have front page stories, but it's less about that and it's more about the information that they're going to use when they're writing in the future, whether it's a blog, whether it's a photo exhibit, whatnot. Um, But I see the work. So um, the Food and Drink magazine, which is my favorite magazine in Ontario, that's put (laughs) out by the LCBO, it's beautiful. And most of those writers come on our tours. And when you look at the recipes and you see the little fun facts that they're printing alongside the recipes most of them come word for word from my tours. Um, When you see the cookbooks that they're writing or the recipes they're developing or the speaking engagements they're giving, you can see snippets. And they're using, just like I told you about my crocodile farmer, they're using stories from the farmers they met on our tours when they're telling their stories. Hmm.
2: That's amazing. Hmm. It seems like it's really worthwhile then to get out and do these tours. I know there are a lot of work to put into planning. There are
1: a lot of work. They are long days, but oh my gosh, I, we, we call them, I love my job days because you just really do feel like you're making a difference at the end of it.
0: And, uh, farm and food care has a lot of resources online on their website, uh, for farmers to use and other people in industry. Um, if a farmer wanted to be more involved in advocating, uh, what, what would you suggest to them and how can they get more information?
1: So we have been offering a program called Speak Up Team Training in Ontario. Uh, it, it long predates me. So, uh, um, but in at Farm and Food Care, we've been offering that training for about fourteen years, and uh, it's a half-day workshop or a full-day workshop. We offer them in different places across the province. Some of our members will sponsor a workshop for for their members, and um, and those training sessions kind of give farmers. A little bit more confidence in because farmers are a modest bunch and (laughs) uh, sometimes it can be intimidating trying to tell your story to somebody who doesn't have the first clue about where their food comes from and so by practicing their stories you know, practicing their elevator speech on who they are and why we love working here Um,
2: And when we say elevator, we mean the elevator ride you would take, not the elevator, that's a grain elevator, right? We've
1: (laughs) got to make sure we know what we're talking about. See, that's an example of consumer versus farmer. But picture yourself getting on at the first floor of the CN Tower. You've got a minute to get to the top. Somebody sees your farm name on your jacket and says, hey, tell me about that. What 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 do you tell them about you? And so those workshops are are amazing, and you just see the confidence that farmers get. Uh, we've got one coming up on April the twenty fourth in Tilbury, uh, sponsored by the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, and there's lots of room still available in that one. Um, so that's one thing. That's in in house half day, full day training, and then on our website under the resources section. There is an awful lot of information on how to give a farm tour, how to do a media interview, how to answer questions, and then uh, our phone is always open and we're always taking calls from farmers who want to write a letter to the editor, need help, want to do an interview, need help, etc.
2: And there's lots of resources there too for the public. I know I've seen some of your 360 farm tours. Those are really interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about some of those types of resources?
1: probably two of my favorite projects that I've ever gotten to work on are the Real Dirt on Farming booklet and the Farm Food 360 virtual reality tours. So the Real Dirt on Farming booklet, we first published it in 2006, never imagining the success that that book would be. We've since put about four million copies of four editions of that booklet out, and they're just flying out. Like I think 60 boxes got shipped out of our office last month alone.
2: I know we were at a CAMA, Agri-Marketing Association meeting last week, and they had them out on the table for everybody because the purpose of the meeting was to uh, teach people from who weren't from a farming background a bit more about agriculture, so that they could help them do their job in agri marketing better. So we just saw that book last week. Yeah,
1: I see. I love that. I love all the stories I've I've heard from farmers who leave it in the their doctor's office, their lawyer's office. I've heard of farmers that put it in the seat pocket of the plane when they fly. You, you never know, right? Yeah. And then the virtual reality tours. That's a project that continues to. Grow, uh, t- recognizing that we'll never be able to take every person in Ontario out to a farm, but if we can give them a VR experience and uh, and put them in, you know, give them the chance to tour a farm virtually from their own house, traditional videos too. If you're if you're like me and you can't ride roller coasters, sometimes VR goggles are a bit much, but then there's traditional videos that introduce people to farmers of all different types too.
0: And um, if anyone would like to follow along with on all these interesting things Farm and Food Care is doing, where do they find you on social media?
1: Yeah, so we are uh, on uh, Twitter, and Twitter is Farm Food Care ON for Ontario because we have sister groups in Saskatchewan and Prince Edward Island doing great things too. Uh, Facebook, Farm and Food Care, Instagram is the same. <clears throat> and certainly, I'm going to put in a plug that if, uh, you know, we, we're, we're we're funded entirely by farmers and farm organizations we get no government funding for our work and we're only limited by our dollars and uh, so if people were interested in becoming a member um, the individual farmer can join at the 60 or 200 level we don't make you do much work you're just helping us do the work on your behalf and that's really critical.
0: That's very important. Well, thank you, Kelly. It was great having you on our podcast today. I think we learned a lot of interesting things about farm and food care and crocodile farming. That's pretty cool. (laughs) So thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: So we are joined today on the podcast by CEO Barry Senth, and uh, this week we had a board meeting, and a big part of that was discussing the upcoming federal election and our election ask. Can you tell us a bit about the process uh, that'll be going along with that?
3: Yes, we had significant discussion, not only about what we're going to ask, but also the means of how we're going to put our issues uh, up front in a uh, very busy um, time for our politicians and and a number of issues coming to the politicians is how do you get on their agenda? So I think we're going to do it. it was decided to do a twofold one from a, a general public's perception as we're um, our approach is we're going to use social media to get uh, farming and grain farming on their agenda and on their radar to be um, just know more about and to impress on uh, the public that farming needs to be on the federal government's agenda. Uh, From our membership perspective, we're going to be sending out a one-pager to each and every one of our members uh, with a description of what uh, GFO's ask for is in the next federal election. And uh, so the front page will have what those asks are that they can share with their candidates for the federal election. On the other side of the piece of paper are going to be some questions that they can pose to those candidates. So it's going to be twofold, depending on who the audience is. Uh, with both technology and some paper involved in it. But I think the whole emphasis is how do you get on the agenda in one of these um, uh, election times.
2: And we're also connecting with our uh, MPPs. We recently had a reception at Queen's Park where we were able to bring up some important issues to those representatives as well.
3: Yeah, uh, a week ago, the uh, GFO board of directors and some GFO staff Uh, participated in the annual Queen's Park uh, reception where we had a great turnout of uh, MPPs along with their staff and it's an opportune time to talk about the relevant issues uh, in a little more informal session and um, again a great turnout uh, topics included uh, you know the sea treatment uh, uh, status Uh, we'd like the government to repeal that uh, uh, the The, the sea treatment regulations that the uh, past government put into place uh, the whole issue of trade well that 's more of a federal jurisdiction uh, it's also a time to reflect back on our business risk management programs with China shutting out uh, canola in most part from um, you know importing Canadian canola while we're reaping some of the rewards of the China tariff on soybeans to the US it's always a concern always a concern that with the stroke of a pen that can be shut off so uh, trade while again a federal issue is always always a discussion for any audience or uh, both levels of government so that was utmost in uh, people's minds so yeah just a great opportunity to meet politicians and their staff in an in, in informal uh, uh type of an approach
0: so, uh, Green Farmers of Ontario was also uh, working away at some public outreach as well this week, um, and I know you were down in Toronto at a restaurant for our crop-ups, can you tell us a bit about what that is and why we were doing it?
3: Sure, last night we uh, took over a restaurant It uh, was hosted by Green Farmers of Ontario that invited 30 uh, food bloggers to work with them to uh, educate them how they could use and promote more grains in their diet. So, uh, we invited the 30 food bloggers to the restaurant. It, uh, uh, the whole me- uh, menu for the evening was uh, uh, not surprising um, uh, grain-based or, uh, or a result of grain being fed, and uh, I think it was a great opportunity. Uh, Jeff uh, Harris and Jeff Barlow were uh, board representation there, did a great job uh, of explaining the um, the aspect of the production of uh, of grains, and I think that was very much appreciated by by the bloggers. They always want to know where the food comes, have that discussion with who's producing the food, and again, the Jeffs did a great job in uh, of sharing their uh, approach to farming and, uh, and the production of food. So uh, all in all, I think every one of the bloggers that we invited showed up, and I think that in itself says something because they're invited to a lot of different events, and for them to come out to this one, I think, is just a, uh, a show of how much they want to and how interested they are in the uh, on the issue.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Barry, for your CEO update today on the podcast.
3: Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to our
2: Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash A special thank you to our guests this week, Kelly Daynard and Barry Semp.
0: If you like what you've heard today on the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And don't forget, five-star reviews on iTunes help us reach more viewers, so please leave us a review.